Have you been thinking about wanting to start your own podcast? When I was trying to get the Evan Witt show off the ground, trying to find where to go, I had a lot of questions and trying to figure it out. And Anchor was the place to go. Easy to start, easy to use, and it's free. And you can get your podcast heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other great places that people like to listen. The answer, again, is Anchor. And I love using Anchor as it's extremely easy and simple and free to use. If you want to join me with Anchor on your podcast, then go to anchor.fm slash start and join me and the diverse community of all the podcasters that Anchor has to offer. I enjoy and cannot wait to start hearing your first podcast. That's anchor.fm slash start. Welcome to the Evan Witt Podcast. This is Evan Witt, and I want to thank you all for listening to the show. We are a day removed from the Super Bowl at the time of this recording, and going to talk briefly about the Super Bowl and the Patriots' 13-3 to uh, three win over the Los Angeles Rams. Going to talk about the overreactions people are having about this game and uh, talk about my thoughts on this Patriots dynasty, and I think you can safely call it a dynasty. It's not a, a dynasty in the traditional sense, but I think it's safe to say it is a dynasty. Uh, Belichick and Brady's six Super Bowl wins together since 2001, nine appearances in the Super Bowl. I, like I said, I think it's safe to say that the Patriots are, in fact, a dynasty. So going to be giving my thoughts on the Super Bowl. going to give my thoughts on the game and the halftime and all that other stuff. We're also going to have joining us tonight uh, – uh, Jordan Reed, who covers the NFL draft, um, the draft uh, analyst, catch him on writer for at Cover One, uh, host of the Draft Board podcast, Climb the Pocket, and going to get his thoughts on this upcoming NFL draft. Um, the draft's coming up, uh, going to be here before we know it. Senior Bowl just happened. Uh, going to get he was there in Mobile, Alabama. We're going to get his thoughts on the Senior Bowl, going to get his thoughts on this year's draft class, and also get his thoughts on a couple of positions that the Packers have a big need in for those Packer fans that are listening. Edge rusher, offensive line, safety, linebacker, um, just some positions that the Packers could desperately use some, some depth and some talent upgrades at. But before we get into that, as you know, the Evan Witt Podcast is brought to you by Coach Evan Fitness. I am a health and fitness coach as well as a podcast uh, host, and I'm here to help you get healthy and lose weight. I have lost around 150 pounds uh, during since 2012. Yes, I've gained some of it back recently, but I lost 150 pounds doing home workout programs and drinking a daily shake that has helped me get in the best shape I've ever been in, and I want to help you do the same. If you're interested in learning more about uh, workouts and living a healthier lifestyle, then just shoot me an email at coachevan66 at gmail.com. So moving on to the Super Bowl. Um, Patriots get the win, 13-3. to And to me, this game showed you why – Bill Belichick is the genius that Bill Belichick is. You give him an extra week to prepare for Sean McVay and Jared Goff and this Los Angeles Rams offense, 
And we saw what Bill Belichick could do. Him and Brian Flores put together a game plan that Sean McVay could not, uh, he failed to adjust to. You know, the Rams like running a lot of outside zone. They, they like a lot of outside zone with Todd Gurley. So the Rams started running a six-man front. Um, they started mixing different coverages between zone and man, disguising things. Um, Sean McVay, he, he likes to talk to Jared Goff uh, in his ear until the 15-second mark of the, of the play clock. Uh, that's when the headset shuts off, um, so you can't communicate anymore. So the Patriots would throw things at him after the 15 seconds is up. Uh, they would send in two defensive play calls, and they would wait until after the 15 seconds mark to, to work on getting lined up. Things like this that Belichick does that I'm surprised other coaches can't do. And the fact that you look at, guys who he gets to have big moments in these games are usually cast-offs from other teams. Kyle Van Noy. Many thought of a bust during his time in Detroit. For the third year in a row, he's making big plays in the Super Bowl. Danny Shelton, cast-off in in Cleveland, former first-round pick, couldn't do anything in Cleveland, big body. He had a big play in the Super Bowl. Uh, that's just an example of the, the Patriots finding guys that other people cast off and finding roles for them. I, I don't know how Belichick does it, but he gets guys to buy into what he wants to do, and he he gets them to uh, to play really hard for him and to, and to sell out. And guys that are approaching big paydays, he sends them off a year or two early before he probably should or needs to and is able to replenish the talent either through the draft or signing another cast-off. A guy who I felt should have been the MVP, Gilmore, had a pretty down year in Buffalo his last year with the Bills. Goes to New England, and he has a big game, and as a pro bowler this year, has a big game in uh, the Super Bowl, intercepting a pass, forcing a fumble. I think he had three pass defenses, and... He did really well shutting down, helping shut down this Rams passing game. Belichick, to me, is the best coach in the NFL. I, I think you could put him up there, one of the greatest coaches of all time, too. He, he, he has lasted much longer than any other coach uh, in the NFL currently. And, the, you know, we, we comment and joke that there's two things guaranteed in life, death and taxes, well, you can also throw the New England Patriots being Super Bowl contenders. That's on Belichick. No matter what coaches have left, what personnel has left, him and Tom Brady, I'm going to throw Brady into this, always seem to find a way to be fighting uh, on this final weekend of the NFL season. I think they've gone to eight straight NFC champion, or AFC championship games, too. That just shows you how good this Patriots team is put together and like I said it doesn't matter who leaves they just keep on turning it out um, now a couple hot takes from the game that have come out um, that I just want to bang my head against the wall the first one being uh, Sean McVay was shown to be a fraud 
no, that, that's not the case at all. Bill Belichick is, like as I said already, one of the greatest coaches in NFL history. He knows how to manipulate uh, young players, uh, young quarterback, young head coaches to to beat them. He know he 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 knows how to prepare. He knows how to get ready, how to game plan for these type of situations. That's what it is. That's why. Um, so just because the the Rams lost, just because the Rams offense didn't look very good at all, doesn't mean that Sean McVay is a fraud. He just had his team had a down game. Jared Goff had a down game. Um, so you can leave with these hot takes. Um, I'm also seeing people throwing out how Julian Edelman is a, a NFL Hall of Famer. He's building a Hall of Fame career. Can you stop with that? He is not a Hall of Famer. He's a very talented football player. He's in a, uh, the right situation for him playing against playing with Tom Brady, who knows exactly where to find him, uh, exactly where to get the football to. Um, and Edelman always finds a way to get open. But to say he's a future Hall of Famer, no, he's not a Hall of Famer. He, 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 you look at the wide receiver position, there, there's a lot of wide receivers not in the Hall of Fame right now that deserve it more than Julian Edelman. And I, I don't mean it to be disrespectful to Julian Edelman. Like I said, he's a heck of a football player. But to me, he's not a Hall of Famer, and people got to stop with that. It's the hot take. It's the hot moment. You know, we just saw it happen. He had 10 catches yesterday, and it's been the popular thing to talk about how he's a, a future Hall of Famer. He's really not. Could he eventually, if he continues to put together uh, outstanding seasons, be in that discussion? Yes, but... Mr. Edelman does have one issue attached to him now. He had, he was suspended four games this year for testing positive for PEDs. Does that disqualify him from – that's right there for many people should disqualify him for Hall of Fame discussion because people are so quick to, to shut down on uh, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Mark McGuire and those guys because, quote, they use PEDs. Um, and they don't want to vote them into the Hall of Fame. So shouldn't that automatically eliminate um, Edelman from any conversation? So, you know, with that, I'm going to move on really quick. I uh, have my guest here, uh, Jordan Reed. Uh, Jordan, want to say thanks for uh, coming on and joining me tonight. No problem, Evan. Thanks for having me on. So um, I was just talking a little bit about the Super Bowl and some of the hot takes that are coming out today. Um, about Sean McVay and Julian Edelman and all that. Before we talk NFL draft, I was trying to get your thoughts quick on the, the game last night. I thought, you know, Belichick just put together a game plan on the defensive side of the ball that, to me, was just Belichick-esque, very genius-like, and the Rams had no answer to it. Yeah, well, what he was saying in his post-game presser was that he wanted to find a way to make the Rams drive the length of the field because what they had been accustomed to all year is finding a way to generate some type of explosive plays, and they've hung their hat on that throughout the year. And they're basically lived and died by the chunk play and throwing the ball down the field or with these outside zone type of runs where Todd Gurley is just gashing these defenses to where they're having you know, no more than six or seven play drives from time to time. So 
basically what he, was saying, what he was saying was that he wanted to take away the middle of the field and force Jared Goff to make throws, not necessarily down the field, but nickel and nine them down the field. And they just didn't feel like they had the ability to sustain drives over an extended period of time. And that's exactly what Bill Belichick did and Brian Flores. Let's give some credit to him as well. He caught a fantastic game. Now the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. So I thought their game plan was fantastic on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I did compliment Flores a little bit too. And I, you know, there's something about him. I know a lot of Belichick disciples when they leave haven't done that great. I think Bill O'Brien's the only one that has had success um, leaving New England. But I, I just have a feeling that Flores is going to be pretty, pretty darn good in Miami. I think they got a pretty good coach down there. So, um, before we do jump into the draft information, can you just kind of give uh, listeners a little bit of background about uh, about you a little bit? Yeah, so I originally started as a Vikings writer for a website called ClimbingThePocket.com, which is a website I started with three of my other friends. And I just wanted a platform to express myself, and we wanted a platform to express our views and just get our content out there some way because we had so many bright ideas. and. I just wanted to get away a bit from being such Viking-centric because that wasn't really my true passion. My true passion was really the NFL draft, and so I started posting these scouting reports on the website, and I also started a small blog called um, just JR's Blogspot, and it's on the website. I'm not even sure if it even exists anymore called blogger.com, and I just wrote tons of the scouting reports and posted it on there, and I made this Twitter account about three years ago now out of you know, just randomness because I just wanted to get my ideas and my thoughts out there. And who knows that it will blow up into what it has become today. And now I'm a writer for CoverOne.net and a host of other websites as well. And I'm the host of the podcast called The Draft Board Podcast. I just launched my first draft podcast last week. So just make sure to check that out if you do get a chance. And it's just funny what things turn out to be when you don't even intend it to turn out what it ends up being. Yeah, I, I feel you on that. The reason why I do podcasting is that, you know, I have, you know, I feel I have a lot of thoughts and opinions and, you know, I, I personally think knowledge when it comes to football and sports and I want to get the content out there. And, you know, this is a plat, I, you know, platform for me that I'm trying to, to grow myself. So I can, you know, definitely, you know, respect that. And so you were down in Mobile, Alabama uh, during Senior Bowl week. Um, what were your thoughts? Um, well, first, how many senior bowls have you covered b- before this year? And what were your thoughts on the class down there this year? Well, this is actually my first one ever attending in person. And I usually only watch the TV copy prior to this year. So it was a real new experience for me. But I just went down there with an open mind. And I had a terrific time down there. And I just love the type of atmosphere that it is down there. And it's just where executives, general managers, and coaches can just be themselves. And that's exactly what you notice down there. Now, as far as the class that was down there, I thought it was very talented, and some players showed up that I didn't originally think were going to have superstar performances. And some guys really needed those performances. And Debo Samuel, the wide receiver from South Carolina, he's the guy that really stood out a bunch that I didn't really think would have a superstar performance down there. I thought he would just be another guy in the mix of this kind of mediocre receiver class that was down there. Um, he definitely had a fantastic performance. Another guy that really stood out during the latter half of practices was Drew Locke, who probably was the highest-ranked prospect down there, especially he really stood out of the group of quarterbacks that was down there. And Montez Sweat 
the defensive end from Mississippi State. He's another guy that stood out while I was down there as well. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot about him, how he's uh, uh, flying his way up the draft boards now, and as he uh, has a good combine showing and pro day showing, he could find himself in the top half of the the draft potentially. Um, He's a guy that I've definitely started taking uh, a closer look on, especially with the you know, the team I tend to follow the most, the Packers, needing a lot of help at the edge. Um, now, you mentioned him, and the one guy that didn't go who was originally going to be there, Josh Allen, that he pulled out. Um, looking at the edge position, who in Mobile stood out to you, and then who in this year's draft overall stands out at that edge rushing position? Well, the edge group in Mobile was kind of underwhelming. There really wasn't a whole bunch of guys that really did stood out or that you kind of expected, and some guys really didn't. Uh, Montez Sweat, as I alluded to, he was a guy that definitely did stand out amongst the group that was down there. Charles Aminihue, the defensive end from Texas, is another guy that really stood out as well that I was really surprised just to see just how tall and stature he was and how well put together he ended up being. Just seeing him in person was just fantastic. Um, there really wasn't a bunch of other guys that really had a standout performance besides those two, those two guys. I think it was just a mixed bag, and all of them were just kind of mediocre. So those two were definitely the two guys that really stood out the most. Yeah, and then just the edge position overall, uh, when you pull in the, the underclassmen uh, that are entering the draft as well, um, you know, Packers have the 12th pick. They have the 30th pick. Um, need help on that edge. Who are some guys that um, Packer fans should probably start getting uh, familiar with, uh, either in the first round or maybe a potential steal later on? Well, the best thing for Packers fans is that this edge group is probably the best position group in the entire draft, which is a great thing for the Packers considering the amount of help that they do need off the edge. Nick Perry has kind of been underwhelming. And then Clay Matthews is getting really long in the tooth, and he's getting older as well. So they really need to replenish the youth coming off of the edge. And I think there's a couple guys that do really fit them, maybe not at 12. Maybe they want to trade back and even get some more picks than what they do already have, or if they want to wait to that 30th spot. I think at 12 they maybe could look at a guy like a Ja'Kai Polite, the defensive end out of Florida. I think he would be a fantastic pick because he he doesn't have that great size that you look for in a stand-up defensive end, but he plays the run okay, but I think he can be better at it. But with the interior presence already of Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels, I don't think it would be as glorified or as poor as many people as say, as many people are saying it can be at this point. So I think he would be a really good fit. Montez Sweat, as you alluded to, I think he would be a good fit. Also, Brian Burns the defensive end out of Florida State, who I think may drop a bit just because there's some concerns about his weight. So maybe he may be there at 30 if they do want to wait to 30 to address their edge needs. So those three guys I definitely think would be good fits. Yeah, you mentioned the edge position being the strongest position in this year's draft. What would you say is probably the second strongest in the draft this year? That's a really good question, and I probably would go with tight end, which is another probably dire need for the Packers right now. Jimmy yeah. Graham just wasn't ex- – he just didn't exceed expectations like many thought he would, especially pairing him with Aaron Rodgers. So this tight end class is really phenomenal, but the top three guys right now are two Iowa tight ends and T.J. Hawkinson, who was a great mixture of receiving and run-blocking threat. 
uh, Noah Fant, who was more of your pass-catching, receiving tight end, and then Irv Smith, the tight end out of Alabama, who kind of is a mixture of the two. But he's more he's much better pass catcher than he is a run blocker. He still needs some work as a run blocker, but he does have a high ceiling. Those three guys are definitely the top three of the class. Yeah, and tight end, that's definitely one of the, as you mentioned, position the Packers need a lot of help on. Graham looks like we'll be back for a second year in Green Bay, as it looks like they are going to uh, – give him the his option that's due in March. So another year of uh, Graham, but it would definitely wouldn't mind seeing them draft the tight end to kind of groom uh, and eventually possibly take over later in the in the in the year uh, for Graham. And you know, both Iowa guys, I would be perfectly fine if Green Bay got either of them. I think especially with Matt LaFleur's offense, I would be fine with either of them. Um, Offensive line, another position of, uh, I would say, need for Green Bay, either in free agency or the draft. How does the offensive line look uh, in this year's draft? Well, there's not a bunch of high-end talent, I would say, like top 10 or top 15 picks, but there's a lot of depth throughout. And it's not just that tackle. There's a lot of depth along the interior, and I thought that was one of the better positions down at the Senior Bowl, Dalton Reisner, the tackle out of Kansas State. I thought he had a fantastic week. The center, Garrett Bradbury from NC State, I thought he had a fantastic week. And Chris Lidstrom from Boston College, that's another name that stuck out as well. So I think the the Packers probably do have a need on the interior at a guard spot. Maybe they look to plug and play a guy at right guard or even right tackle if they do want to move in, move on from Brian Bulaga eventually. But I don't think that time is coming anytime soon. So maybe they want to take a versatile tackle that maybe transitions to the interior while Bulaga does play his contract out, and maybe they do slide him out to the exterior when his contract does run out, and they ultimately do want to move on from him. So, like I said, a guy like Dalton Reisner would be a great fit. Jawan Taylor from Florida would be another guy that's a really good fit that can play tackle or guard. He has that flexibility to do so as well. Um, talking offensive line, it seems like the Badgers always have uh... – uh, offensive linemen getting drafted, and for uh, they have three um, this in this year's NFL draft: Dieter uh, Edwards and uh, name I have a hard time pronouncing. Uh, <laughs> you know, out of those three guys, who are you uh, uh, liking out of that group? I thought Dieter had a good week down at the Senior Bowl. He was quietly impressive, and he just has that type of personality. He's not a guy that's going to find a way to stand out personality-wise or being exuberant or anything of that sort. He's just a guy that just turns it on when the pads come on, and that's exactly what he did. And I think he's going to be a plug-and-play starter. He definitely should be a top 50 pick, I think, somewhere on day two. I think that's where he's going to end up going. Uh, David Edwards, he's a, another fantastic prospect as well. does have some stiffness in his hips, and he's not your typical zone scheme type of offensive lineman. But if he's placed in a gap scheme of some sort, I think where he can just move downhill and just get his body moving forward on people and just maul defenders, I think that's a system that could suit him best. And I think he's strictly a right tackle just because of how tall he is, standing at 6'7", I believe, right at 320 pounds, I just think him at right tackle, I think he's definitely going to be a plug-and-play option. And Ben Shower, I think he's probably going to be a day three pick most likely. And I just the, I just don't see the upside with him as the other two possess, but he could be a serviceable type of rotational type of guy. 
Yeah, you know, Ben Shell. Now that you say it, I think I know. I give it a try. One of you know, thing with him, and not saying you know he's going to have the NFL, you know, the NFL career. The Rams have a right tackle in Rob Havenstein, who uh, I just didn't see really having uh, an NFL career due to you know just his lack of quickness. You know, he's more of a baller at Wisconsin, but he's someone that's come in and has made himself a nice NFL career. So I guess at the end of the day, you never truly know until, you know, you get them in the NFL program. So quarterback position, from everything I've seen, everything I've, uh, information that I've gathered, one of the weaker quarterback classes that we've, uh, we've had probably for a few years now what are your thoughts on this year's quarterbacks? Yeah, we were really spoiled by the class last year, and I keep reiterating that because it really was a fantastic class, and it wasn't just at the top. It was throughout the draft as well. I think that was one of the better quarterback classes in recent years, especially at the top with Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, and Josh Allen, and Lamar, even Lamar Jackson coming on strong at the end of the year and into the playoffs as well. So there really was a lot of depth in that class, and you're just not seeing that with this quarterback class. And there's not that marquee high-end talent like there was last year. And Dwayne Haskins and Kyler Murray are really the two guys that are starting to separate themselves uh, for various reasons. And Drew Locke has come on strong. He finished really strong in the bowl game, in the final game of the season against Oklahoma State. And then stamping his resume with the senior bowl, with the standout performance down there as well. So he's starting to come on strong, and you're starting to see him get some top 10, top 15 discussions because let's be honest NFL evaluators and scouts they feel that arm strength is king and that's one thing that Drew Locke does have and scouts are going to feel like they can mold his traits around that arm strength and he reminds you of a guy like a Matthew Stafford and I'm not saying that he should be the number one pick like Matthew Stafford but you can find a way to mold his game around his natural arm strength I think you can have a top 10 to top 15 type of quarterback eventually and a guy that you can win with now, on the subject of Haskins, he is a bit young. The sample size is really small. That's the biggest deficiency against him right now. He's only started 14 career games. So that small sample size does give you a bit of pause just because he's only been a one-year starter, and you just don't know what his upward traje- trajectory or his development is going to be like in the future because he is so young. And then with Kyler Murray, you just don't know exactly what his commitment level is. So this entire quarterback draft class is just a wild card as a whole, and there's negatives with every single one of these guys. Yeah, and I want to jump on Murray for a minute. And, you know, great great season in Oklahoma. Um, definitely deserved the Heisman, uh, the Heisman Trophy. Had, you know, great, like I said, great season. But I, when people talk about him and they, they talk about his height, you know, they automatically start throwing out Russell Wilson. They start throwing out Drew Brees, you know, shorter quarterbacks that have had, uh, you know, really good careers. Um, but when I look at Russell Wilson, he just, you know, he's built to me thicker than than Murray. Is. Like I, I just have a hard time seeing Murray being a long term starter in the NFL as a quarterback, especially, you know, with a guy like Aaron Donald, for example. Uh, you know, bar you know, bearing down on him. What are your thoughts on Murray? Am I like over worried about his size, or is that something that's going to limit him in the NFL? 
No, and it's completely fair what you were saying, and it's actually my same exact thought about him. His muscle mass and his lack of build in his lower body is it worries me more than his actual height being five nine or five ten or whatever he is listed at, and we'll see what he does measure at if he does decide to participate in the combine, but he just doesn't have that muscle mass that you want to see throughout a shorter type of quarterback, and Baker Mayfield had it in his lower half, and obviously Russell Wilson has it throughout his body. He's every bit of whatever his weight is listed at, I believe right at 200 pounds or just a bit above that, and you can tell he has that thick, sturdy type of base, and he plays that way as well, just as, just the way he's able to bounce off of tackles and break through them and just his escapability uh, efforts in and throughout games. That's something that his game is really molded and predicated around. And with Kyler Murray, yes, he does have that elusiveness that Russell Wilson has, but is he going to be able to hold up? And then you worry about just how durable he's going to be over the long haul. So just that lack of muscle mass and just how much he does weigh. I know he's listed at 185 pounds, and we'll see if he does end up weighing that. But his body building, his lack of mass in his lower half is definitely a concern. Yeah, and I hope he can make it. But I just think, you know, baseball might be uh, more where he's going to get his money worth. But... You know, slot receiver position is kind of, you know, Julian Edelman's success and uh, before Klopp got hurt in uh, Los Angeles, the slot position tends to be a, uh, a key position a lot of people are looking for now in their offense. Uh, guys like Debo Smith, uh, Samuel, I mean, from South Carolina, for an example. I heard good things out of him from Mobile. Who are some of these uh, slot guys? And the Packers definitely could use a, a slot receiver with – Randall Cobb being a free agent, who are some slot guys to look out for? Yeah, and I think Debo Samuel will be a great one on day two. I think he's going to go in the second, late second or early third round. I think that's a fair range for him. And another guy that had a really good senior bowl is Penny Hart out of Georgia State. He's a guy that was a late addition. He was added to the roster about two weeks before the senior bowl actually started. And a lot of people were like, man, who is this guy after the first day of practice? Nobody really knew who he was, and they handed out rosters, and everybody wanted to interview and talk to Penny Hart after practice. And a lot of people thought he was just a one-practice wonder, and a lot of people didn't really know who he was after that day. But he just continued to build on the second day into the third day, and he just kept constantly getting open. He has that large catch radius. He has the speed and the wiggle to consistently get open from the slot, and he strictly plays in the slot. But he's not only a guy that can work the underneath and intermediate type of zone areas, but he's a deep threat as well, and he can blow the top off of a defense because he has that high 4-4 speed that you look for in that type of slot wide receiver. So I think he would be a fantastic fit in Green Bay. Yeah, and, you know, those are, you know guys I heard a lot about too, and I – going to be going back and, uh, you know, checking out a little bit. Uh, I, You know, we know about the big names at the top of the draft, your Bosa's, your Josh Allen, uh, uh, those guys. Who are some late, you know, maybe day two, day three uh, type guys that uh, you think are, uh, you know, guys to keep an eye on in the draft? And you always have, you know, like Tom Brady, six-round pick. Um, things like that. Who are you know? Who are some of those later on guys you think that could come in and be a long term NFL starter? Well, a couple of D linemen that really stood out to me, and one of them, his name was Kalen Saunders from Western Illinois, 
and he's a bit undersized. He measured at six foot, 320 pounds. But just going back and watching his film, he was outstanding at the Senior Bowl, and he was dominant at the FCS level, and he was the first player ever to be selected for the Senior Bowl from his school. And there's been a lot of notable names that's come out of Western Illinois. I believe Rodney Harrison uh, was one name, and Brian Cox was another notable name as well. So there's been some famous names to come out of there. And another name is L.J. Collier from TCU. He's another guy that really stood out at the Senior Bowl as well. And he, he's a bit of a tweener. He probably is going to have to be a 3-4 stand-up outside linebacker because he is a bit smaller um, in his stature. But I think he's a guy that definitely could find – if he's able to find a really good fit somewhere along the line, maybe on day three, I think he's a guy that definitely could be a steal for a team. And final question before we uh, wrap up. Uh, Clemson lineman, Dexter Lawrence, uh, you know, dominating up front, 6'4", 350 for the uh, Clemson Tigers all year. And then right before the college football playoffs, he tests positive for uh, banned substance. And he has to miss the college football playoff uh, game and the national championship. Uh, He's a guy that likely first-round pick uh, without the suspension. Now, where in the first round, I don't know. How much do you see this hurting Dexter Lawrence, uh, you know, this positive uh, test that he had? Well, I think it's going to be a case-by-case basis, and I say that because at the Combine, he's going to get a chance to sit down with a plethora of teams because a lot of people are going to be interested in Dexter Lawrence. And the easiest way to put it is that if he was born 20 years ago, he probably would be a top-five pick just because of he's that stout, run-stuffing type of runner. And the NFL was really revolved around the running game as early as 10 years ago. So it just like 15 years ago, I think he would have been a fantastic selection because he's that guy that can clog the middle of the defense, and he's just so hard to move at the point of attack. But – those type of guys are just kind of archaic. And what I mean by that is you have to be able to find a way to rush the passer in the NFL today. And if you don't, you cannot play on third down. And he's a guy that probably projects better as a first and second down type of rusher just because he doesn't provide much value on third down. And you can tell because the sack production has really declined every single year he was at Clemson. I believe he had six and a half his first year and declined all the way down to one and a half last year. So, his, present ha- his presence hasn't been as felt as it was early on during his tenure. But as far as him testing positive for that banned substance, I think that might hurt him in the long run. But it's just going to be a case-by-case basis, depending on how his interviews go with each team that's interested in him at the Combine. Yeah, I guess I kind of lied here with uh, one last question because you kind of made me uh, think of somebody else I forgot to even uh ask you about you're talking about the uh getting after the quarterback kind of thing and Aaron Donald popped in my head right away uh quick penetrator disruptive in the backfield and uh Ed Oliver from Houston uh kind of undersized but you know Donald is too and he's you know very successful at his position uh do you see Ed Oliver being that type of player where he's going to be uh 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 hard to deal with uh, uh, defensive tackle like an Aaron Donald, or is he going to have a hard time, uh, uh, you know, creating a path for himself in the NFL? Now, I'm a little bit worrisome as far as him on the inside just because 
they played him at a what's called a head-up nose tackle a lot directly over the center. And I think that's kind of giving a lot of people – it's painting a bad picture for a lot of evaluators about him because he played out of position. That's not his position because he was asked to two-gap, meaning that he was asked to hold up in both A-gaps. And that's not his game. He's a true penetrator, a guy that likes to get strictly up the field like Aaron Donald does. And I'm not saying he's going to have the career path that Aaron Donald has had, but he is a true disruptor just like Aaron Donald is now. His game isn't as polished or as well diverse as what Aaron Donald's is, but he does have a similar type of effect as far as penetrating the pocket and being able to consistently get tackles behind in the backfield, behind the line of scrimmage. So I I think it's a little bit unfair to him to compare him to Aaron Donald just because I think Aaron Donald is a a once-in-a-generation type of talent, and we're seeing that just because he's been a multi-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year, and I don't think Ed Oliver is going to reach that type of stature, but as far as being a consistent and upper echelon type of starter at that three-technique spot, I definitely believe he has the upside of being that. Yeah, the kind of weird season for Houston, I guess it's safe to say. Weird, like maybe the maybe not the right word, but the whole um, he's going to sit out the rest of the year. Now he's not going to. Um, not playing in the bowl game, uh, uh, the 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 conflict he had with the coach. Do those worry uh, NFL teams, or are they kind of going to overlook that? I think it's another one of those things where it's a case by case basis. I think some teams are going to heavily weigh that against him, while some really don't care. But. The one thing that they do want to do is they want to get the facts straight with Ed Oliver. They're going to get a chance to face him face-to-face in these meetings, and they're just going to ask him, like, look, man, just tell us what happened with that situation and just be truthful with us. And depending on how that goes and how his story is actually told, and if he tells the truth, I think that's really going to paint the picture, whether it's positive or negative on their evaluation about Ed Oliver. But me personally, I don't think it's a huge issue, and, both sides apologized, and he he knew he was wrong in the situation because he broke a team rule, and he just didn't want to put himself before the team, and that's exactly what he did on the sideline with the jacket, and that's one of the biggest reasons why he apologized for the entire thing, but I thought he handled it the right way, issuing an apology, and I think he'll be just fine, and he'll be able to recover, and it won't have an effect, a negative effect on his draft stop. Yeah, and I hope it doesn't either. I like I like Oliver. I like the intensity that he plays with, and I think he could have a a very bright NFL future. So, not going to take up any more of your time. I do want to appreciate uh, say I appreciate you uh, talking with me for a little bit here. Uh, before you do go, uh, where can uh, listeners find your work? Uh, find your on social media things like that. You can find me on social media on Twitter at jreednfl. That's at J-R-E-I-D-N-F-L. Make sure to shoot me a follow on there. You can also find my work at climbingthepocket.com as well as cover1.net. That's where all of my draft content is located. You can also find my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify, and it's called the Draft Board Podcast. Be sure to follow that as well. Subscribe. Awesome. Again, I want to say thank you for uh, spending a little bit talking to me about NFL Draft. Uh, I do really appreciate it. Hope you have a great uh, rest of your night. No problem. Thanks for having me, Evan. Yep. Anytime. So, you know, that was uh, Jordan Reed. Uh, do Again, thanks for coming on and uh, talking to me about the NFL Draft, uh, some names to take a look at. 
uh, Packers should take, you know, Packer fans should get familiar with as well, uh, both in that first round and then maybe a little later with the, the need that the Packers have. So uh, I'm going to let you guys go shortly. Not going to take up much more of your time, but uh, once again, the Evan Witch podcast is brought to you by Coach Evan Fitness. If you are looking to get into shape, uh, live a healthier lifestyle, uh, drop some weight, whatever it may be, I'm here to help you. Um, I can help you uh, just like I've been able to help myself with the uh, the weight loss. So shoot me an email, CoachEvan66 at gmail.com. With that, uh, what are your thoughts on the Super Bowl? Give me a follow on Twitter at EvanWitchSports. Uh, give me a thought on what you, what you had uh, to say about the game. With that said, I appreciate you all for listening and I will get back at you uh, later on talking uh, Milwaukee Bucks, a lot of Milwaukee Bucks next time. Have a good rest of your night, everybody.